Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. An Eye for an Eye podcast contains materials that may not be suited for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The park was a popular destination, and it did not go unnoticed that a four-foot-nine, smartly attired Asian man was struggling to drag two large suitcases towards the lake. The unusual-looking man rested on a bench, falling asleep only to awake to see an elderly gentleman opening one of the bleeding suitcases. When the old man started to scream, the killer stood up and calmly walked away into the night. With the police arriving on the scene within minutes, Oliver Foll, deputy chief constable of the Paris CID, took charge of the case. The description of what was found is horrible because it was two suitcases found by passers-by and containing pieces of human body. It was appalling, nightmarish. What was striking was that someone had removed flesh from some parts of the body it was obvious, and that puzzled us. The police arranged for an autopsy. They quickly deduced that the victim had been shot in the back of the neck at point-blank range. But with the face badly mutilated, the corpse was impossible to identify. All we knew about the victim is that it was a young woman. Then, during the autopsy, they noticed that there had been post-mortem sexual intercourse. With disturbing evidence of necrophilia and missing body parts, the police launched a major manhunt across Paris. What up, everybody? It's another episode of Eye for an Eye. I'm your host, Lisa, and I'm here with... Your boy, Maddie Ice. What's up, y'all? <laughs> Coming from Matt's room. Feeling good tonight, guys. Always. Always feeling good. It's a fresh fresh chapter in the Eye for an Eye podcast uh, book. So, actually, I was talking to my friends, and we have a lot of new listeners, and it's really exciting. I know. We've gotten so many new followers. We're getting an average of 100 new listeners a week. Yeah, yes, which so. is super, super, super duper exciting. Keep yeah. sharing the love, spreading the word, listening. Anyone who's a true crime junkie like us, spread it, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your fam. We understand true crime's not for everyone, but, you know, there's a lot of people it is for. A lot of freaky people out love, there like yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. We love y'all. Yeah, so thank you for the love and sharing. At this point, this is episode seven. What episode is this? Is this seven? Is this seven? Holy shit. I don't know what episode we're on. Hold on. Okay. 
Where? No, that's episode eight. Holy shit, episode eight. I should know that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay, so this is episode eight. Super excited. This is going to be a quicker case, but the end is just as mind-boggling as the others. And it really begs the question, which is kind of ironic because, you know, we're bringing you another episode of what the fuck happened here pretty much. And it's interesting because the question that I'm most interested in is, how and why do people fetishize murderers or murderers? Which people may say we're doing. And that that's why I think it's kind of ironic because yeah. bringing light to these crimes, even mentioning these people's names to some people is like committing the crime all over again. But some people it's kind of spreading awareness, just entertaining. Not to say murder is entertaining. We never want people to be killed. But it's one of those things that it's curious. And that's why when we get to the end of this case and what's gone on since the actions took place it's really interesting to is there a line do people cross a line yeah we kind of discussed a little bit in our preliminary conversation here before we started recording lisa that like you know how many people have these types of weird sick thoughts going on in their minds that just don't act on them or how many people do act Mm -hmm. on them that we don't know about necessarily yeah i always think i don't know if you think but like this is weird, and I, I've brought it up in our Facebook group. If you don't follow us, check us out, iFry Podcast, on Facebook. But do you ever drive past – this is so fucking weird, and I'm weird to admit it. But do you ever drive past, like, a house or, like, another car and think to yourself, like, that car could be hiding secrets at house? Like, who knows some a kidnap victim could be in there. Oh that person could have committed a murder. Houses all the time. Ah, that's I'm so a real crazy. estate agent. For those of you guys that don't know, I'm a real estate agent, so I get to go into a lot of vacant houses. Ah, you probably see some shit. I've just seen some places where I'm like, dude, you could <laughs> totally keep a body here. Like, you could totally yeah. hide somebody here. Someone probably did hide someone here. I've had that thought a few times, too, if you guys could see some of the places I've been. (laughs) But it's truly, like, yeah, I mean, I often think, like, you know, what really happened there? Yeah, and also it could happen. And like Matt said, who's out there? You know, who? Right. And we've talked before, like, the dark webs exist, and those are real active people. Yeah, you know, the barista that serves you your coffee every day. The person who, you know, you get your your gas, your next-door neighbor, you know. Yeah. Your freaking family member that's just, you know, you see him at Christmas and Thanksgiving, and, you know, you always wondered what was up with that guy. <laughs> well, even those people that you're like, oh, he was such a family man, he was so great, or right. she was the best mom ever, how how did this happen? Like, it's always one of those things where it either takes you by surprise, or you're like, shit, I should have seen that coming. Yes. It it's crazy. Like- we live in a crazy world, and that's why we bring you this podcast, because the craziness keeps on flourishing. But that's just a... A point I wanted to throw out there as the conversation started before we even get into the case. Why do people fetishize crimes? Why do people fetishize murderers? What is this interest about? And and is there a line that's crossed? Or is there a fine line? Is there, you know, people who listen to our podcast, is that crossing a line? Or is there a line in the sand that you just cannot cross even for us? Hey, if you're crossing a line, keep crossing it. <laughs> we want you to listen. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not crossing any lines here, hopefully. We're just yeah. talking about some stuff. Some crazy stuff. All right, yeah, so let's get into it. This is crazy as always. We shouldn't have to warn anyone anymore at this point. Graphic, gross, disgusting. Things are going to be mentioned that not many people should even hear about, think about. Yep. Discuss, but that's what a two crime podcast does to you. That's so what we do. Sorry. Yeah. So if you're not used to it by now, you better get used to it soon. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into this. So Woo. on the afternoon of June twelfth, in nineteen eighty one, 
Issei Sagwa. I have no fucking clue how to pronounce his name, and I, I think it's Issei. It's Issei. 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 Sagawa. Sagawa. Sagawa, yeah, okay. Issei so, Sagawa. <laughs> we're not even going into this shit again. We are. Issei Sagawa. We're, I'm so sorry for if people. We really just want to pronounce these names properly, and I feel like I butcher them every fucking time. I'm getting them right. And this is full of words that I'm not going to be able to pronounce, so I, Matt's going to have to come in and correct me. But anyways, Issei Sagawa was seen walking into the woods of, oh, fuck, here we go with another word. Boys de Bologna? Bologna? I believe it's, <laughs> I believe it's. Logna. All right. Well, he I was... think, hey, if you anybody can speak French and knows better <laughs> than I do, I speak very broken French. So. I speak no French, even though I took five years of it. Boulogne? So, yeah. Boulogne, yeah, I don't know. He was in France walking towards the river carrying two suitcases is what was happening. Yeah. And it was light out. It was in the middle of the afternoon. People were out and about enjoying the park. It was in the park area, which if you know France, I guess you would know by our shit pronunciation of the actual place, Boy de Bouillon. Bois de Bouillon. Yeah. So people at this park, like I said, it was light out. People were walking around, hanging out, enjoying the day. They saw something peculiar. So they saw... Yeah, I got it right. Bois de Bouillon. Yeah. They saw this little Japanese man carrying two large suitcases, dragging them. He wasn't carrying them. He was dragging two large suitcases, and he was headed towards a river. Now, of course, like I said, this is the middle of the day. This is people are out and about, and people are looking at this guy. You'd look at anyone really dragging suitcases towards the river, but struggling with them, seeming like they have a mission. And why in the world would you be taking your suitcases to a river? No one knows. But people noticed this was very noticed. Every There were witnesses. People noticed what was going on. So Issei was dragging suitcases towards a river um, after getting out of a taxi cab with those suitcases. Now, he dragged those suitcases through the park. Like I said before, he dragged them through a park. And people were watching him struggle to carry the suitcases towards the lake. So accounts of this differ because obviously there was different perspectives of what was happening. But mainly they said that Sagawa panicked when he realized that people were watching him and left the suitcases by the lake. Now, there is another version of this story, and I'm not 100% sure which is true, that he struggled with the suitcases and sat on a park bench because he was winded and fell asleep with the suitcases next to him. And someone was curious, came over because the suitcases looked a little off or were leaking something and found a horrific sight. So there's two different cases. Um, there I'm not 100% sure and it wasn't very clear through the reports that I read, which is actually what happened because like I said, many people had different opinions of what they saw that day. But regardless... Two joggers found the suitcases and immediately notified police due to what they discovered inside. Now, I'm not sure, like I said, what prompted them to open the suitcases. I do believe they were linking a substance. But in any case, two joggers opened these suitcases and immediately called the police. Something caught their attention that was worthy yeah, of them stopping. Absolutely. And those suitcases ended up containing the dismembered body of Renee Hartefeldt. Um, police immediately released a sketch of Issei because the taxi driver who dropped him off was a witness. You know, he saw this happening and they were immediately able to contact him and he was able to give the police a detailed description of Issei. Issei, like we said, was a short-statured man and so he was very easily identifiable. So many people saw him and so everybody recognized this man immediately. There was many people around to identify him. Yeah, imagine if this guy had walked into, this is a major park west of France, imagine if he had walked into a major park in 
Manhattan, say yeah, for example, carrying two heavy like suitcases towards a lake. <laughs> towards a lake, both of them bloody, obviously struggling with yeah. them. And he leaves them there and goes. Either goes or he, whatever account somewhere. you choose. We don't to know be. which account was true. But, but one way or another, someone got those suitcases and scared off Issei, and they found out what was inside those suitcases was the body of a dismembered Renee Hartefelt. Shortly after, like we said, Sagawa was arrested because there were so many witnesses around to see him, identify him, and know who he was. He's a little guy. I mean, right. he, was he couldn't get very far. He was from what we understand. Now, a little bit of background on why he was such a little guy. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't just short, was he? Yeah, he was just a little little man. He was, he was a little all the way around. So he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Issei Sagawa was born in Kobe, Hyogo, Japan, to wealthy parents. He was born prematurely, actually, reportedly small enough to fit into the palm of his father's hand at birth. And was immediately afflicted, therefore, with the enteritis disease, it's called. The disease of the small intestine, which he eventually did actually recover from. Uh, thankfully, he was able to come back from that. Uh, but he does actually have some serious issues from an early age not related just to his medical history. He claimed that from an early age, he was experiencing cannibalistic desires, which is kind of odd, obviously. Uh, but even for a little kid to not be so certain of what he was feeling, he recounts from the first time he was able to feel those feelings, or he could recall feeling those feelings, I should say, he was able to recall feeling those feelings, was when he was in first grade. That's so fucked up. Isn't that odd? He caught a glimpse of a classmate's thigh, and he later recounted in interviews that it was that sight that gave him the first cannibalistic... Not that he was homosexual, not that he was even... First grade? How old are you in first grade? Six, seven. That's so wild. That. Like, when you're six and seven, people say you can't even, like, articulate feelings. or You know, you can obviously articulate feelings, but, like, you know, people say there's that debate where you can't, you know, be sexually attracted to things, and you can't... How did a kid what point experience your cannibalism? start to work? Yeah, well, yeah. And what part of your DNA does that fit into? You know, where, did, where in the double helix does that fit? So he actually, a little bit here about his background, that we always have the debate, nurture versus nature, but here's a little bit of the nurture argument coming to fruition. He also recalled in interviews later that he would play a game with his family when he was young. His dad dressed up as a knight, and his brother, their uncle, dressed up as a giant. The two adults would, quote-unquote, fight over the children, so have these fake battles. And when Dad won, that was all good. Nobody got hurt or eaten. But when Dad lost, <laughs> the giant got to eat the children. I'm sorry, but I love that you added the eaten part in. Nobody got, nobody nobody got, got hurt eaten. or eaten. It, it just a little bit astounds me that that was, even at a young age, what game they were playing. So, you know, I guess... I used to play a game with my brother where he would hide under covers like a rock like or like like bundled up and i would sit on him and pretend i was like a princess or something and then he would come to life like it was like actually like an ogre or something and he'd kill me so that was that was it but i didn't nobody ate anyone it was just like i was gonna say died. nobody got eaten though right he didn't <laughs> yeah. start cooking you afterwards all right just checking yeah. just checking um no yeah but i mean i do remember like you know obviously playing games as a kid things would be like it was a fantasy you know like yeah. everybody you know you were 
cowboys and Indians or you were fighting the yeah. bad guys as the Power Rangers and stuff. I'm you know, sure his family very, never thought that this I'm would sure turn that into never something. Really, right. But it, I, I always think about that nurture versus nature thing. And this comes to the light as like, wow, he recalled that. And he was able to recall in first grade having these types that of sexual desires. That is wild to me. Well, nature so, versus nurture is like how my whole life is set up because I was adopted. So all of mine right, is nurture. Exactly. Well, it's a debate. Did debate. it come from my history that we don't know about or what? Or from your current... But I know I'm not a cannibal and I never thought about cannibalizing anybody at the age of six or ever. Or so. ever after. So, well, in a graphic interview that he actually gave later, and this is really interesting because he was very open about his experiences before he murdered anyone. So this is unusual, but uh, I'm going to read a direct quote here. Issei Sagawa said, I was physically weak from the moment I was born. My legs were so skinny they looked like pencils. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Well, it was in the first grade of elementary school when I saw the quivering meat on a male classmate's thighs and I suddenly thought, hmm, that looks delicious. But I'm not homosexual, so from around the time I entered junior high school, I became obsessed with the Western actress Grace Kelly, an obsession that lasted right through high school. That was the beginning of my infatuation with Occidental people. Before I knew it, tall, healthy-looking Western women became the trigger for my cannibalistic fantasies. I guess my infatuation with such women stemmed from the fact that I was short, ugly, and had an inferiority complex, and therefore saw people who were the exact opposite of myself. Eventually, I began feeling a strong desire to bite into them. Not to kill them or eat them, per se, but merely to gnaw on their flesh. It was purely a form of sexual desire. It wasn't like I felt like eating someone every time I was hungry. But you know how you tend to feel a strong sexual desire when you've eaten a full meal, which is so funny because, yeah. <laughs> every fucking time I eat. And that's when I start feeling the urge to eat a girl. It's absurd, right? In essence, it's a different from the type of hunger that people experience for food. This cannibalistic urge where I'm going, I want to eat human meat, is a sort of sexual appetite. So if I don't make sure that I ejaculate frequently enough, the desire only gets stronger and stronger. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. That is a very odd take on just life in general. And like but, you said earlier, it makes me nervous for the people that are still out there that share these fantasies because those wonder, exist. Yeah, I wonder how many people have these types of... There's like cannibal chat rooms that people... I mean, I don't. I think they're on the dark web, but like there's many say, cases no, that we're going to cover. Web. Yeah, there's many cases that we're going to cover where people talk like this. And it's scary to think that this isn't an isolated in incident, although I'm sure the percentage is very low. Very low, yeah. I mean, we don't hear it's about just like, where does this come from? Right. Now, Issei was clearly sick from a young age. He had this type of desire. But that makes you wonder, where does that come from? You know, he was so young when he first Like, we that. saw a lot of men's or little boys' thighs when we were in first grade, and I never thought to Dude, myself Dude, I played ever. sports, yeah, you like, <laughs> yeah. duh. Like, I was into girls. I remember liking my first yeah. girl when I was five. Honestly, yeah. I can truly, I My first, that. like, little peck of a kiss was in kindergarten. Oh, damn. <laughs> you were wild. <laughs> but I never wanted to eat it. Like, that's the thing. It's like... Even then, it's like he could have maybe gotten help if he. Would. I mean, who yeah. speaks up about that? Because that's who speaks like odd, up on that, know? though, right? Yeah, who wants to admit that? So shout out to any kids that are under the age. Well, no, any age. Anybody. If you have Call feelings us, like man. this, 
give us a call. Let's interview you. We'll We're talk ready. to you. We'd love to talk but to you. But seriously, get help because it can only escalate. Seriously, and talk about it with somebody because there's only nastiness down that path. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lisa and I are looking at each other like, oh my god. But, only okay. So that wasn't even his uh, his only admittance in these interviews. He also admitted that he, when he was a child, took part in bestiality with his dog, uh, which was obviously disgusting and horrible, <laughs> and we feel terrible for that dog. But we wonder, like, you know. At what point did nobody notice this guy was sick because he was young and yeah. clearly was... I feel like a lot of the times... I, I mean, I'm not saying this case. Obviously, in this case, hopefully there would be bells going off. But I feel like a lot of parents, maybe not nowadays, but back then, wanted to just believe that their kid was perfect. Right. I mean, that I still they feel like that's it. how it is. Yeah, you're right. How many people defend their kids for stuff that they know like they've bullies. done wrong? Yeah, bullies. Bullies, moms. Thieves. I mean, my, my parents would never they admit that I cheated. They'd slap me in the face. Oh, my God. I would get, my dad would have defended me in front of yeah. a court judge and then would have kicked my ass <laughs> when, when we got, got home, home yeah. and gone to court himself for murdering <laughs> yeah. me. Like, I'm saying. Yeah. He would have defended me and then he'd be like, nah. But maybe that's it. like why, maybe they, do, and like also people, like when you're little, you have a fantasy world. You know, everything's a fantasy totally. world. You could play with a stick for 10 hours and be a wizard in the forest, you know, of your I had a great kingdom. time with that stick. Yeah, so maybe they chopped it up to like, oh, we played this fun game as right. when we were kids. We ate him for dinner when we lost the <laughs> Now, well, these also, I mean, like, not like we're talking about here. Now, these thoughts also manifested themselves into actions with yes. with his dog. And then when he was 23, mm. actually, and still living in Tokyo, he followed a tall German woman home uh, just to obsess over her, apparently. But then he broke into her apartment that night while she was asleep with the intent to try and eat her by tearing and walking away with a piece of her flesh. Now, I'm not sure how exactly he planned to do that, but he apparently had the intention that night of at first just following her, but then something overcame him, and he tried to act on it. She woke up, fortunately, and pushed him to the ground. He was such a small guy, uh, and then he was actually taken in by police, thankfully, and charged with attempted rape uh, but he really at that point was still I think, afraid of himself yeah. and he did not confess his true intentions he wasn't trying to rape her he wanted a piece of her flesh that would change in that part because at 23 that was 23 years old this is four years before anything crazy even happened well that's crazy but like you know the craziest parts happened do you think if he would have said Actually, I tried to break in to eat her. <laughs> I would have been like, we're going to put you away for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think he would have been It would have changed the course. Yeah, I think he would have been institutionalized right away. Yeah. I think oh, it would have ended his, his life as he knew it then. You can't get into someone's head and imagine that they're no, going to No, I mean, but as much as, like, you also have to wonder, like, you don't think the police should have wondered, what was this fucking guy thinking following this woman home and did he have a knife for like I don't know I don't know how he planned to I think he wanted to like literally bite bite into it oh god <laughs> you didn't want to see my face just then we're not laughing at any of this but it's just one nervous laughter and two I just react to the way Matt looks sometimes Lisa's laughing at my facial expressions because they are very and what you said oh god <laughs> alright okay. but then okay so now 
He eventually did leave Tokyo as a 27-year-old in the year 1977. He immigrated to France to pursue a PhD in literature. Uh, but when he moved to Paris, which obviously is a city rife with sex and awesomeness, <laughs> he claims that while he was living there, he was bringing home prostitutes nearly every single night, and he wanted to shoot them. He tried to shoot them, but his fingers froze when he tried to pull the trigger. But he was unable to kill any one of them. So he tried. Which is insane. First of all, I wonder if any of these girls noticed. That's what I mean. I think, think he, like, like hunted them. Like, you know what? Not hunted, like, like he didn't throw them out of the wall, which is another case we're going to get to. But... It's, yeah, he, I think he, like, they would be, like, sitting one way, and, like, he'd go pretend to get, like, a glass of water or something, and then come up behind them. Yeah, And, like, with the gun. Yeah. But, like, ooh, can you imagine, first of all, can you imagine after everything in this case broke, being one of those people that hung out with this guy, knowing that he confessed to trying to kill you, too? No. Not at all. And I wonder what stopped him. Honestly, I wonder what stopped him, because he tried to act on it before when he was 23. Whatever. So, so yeah, like Matt said, he did try to get into killing people and eating them. And he did say, though, which is bizarre because I don't know how you separate the two, that he wanted to eat someone, but he was not interested in murdering someone. He did not want to kill them. He wished he could eat someone without them dying, but he knew that that was the way it had to take place before, obviously, he could eat them. Because I don't know who would be like, yeah, here, take my finger and cut off my arm and cook it. Like, who would do that? Nobody. During the time in Paris, he befriended a 25-year-old woman who was a Dutch student, and her name was Renee Hartefeld. Now, Issei, like Matt said, is very interested still in Western women. Actually, that's a lie, not still. He has said he's now interested in his, his own race and kind, and he's no longer interested in Western women, but we'll get into that later. But he was always interested in the Western look, the long legs, really, really fair skin, mm-hmm. what I would imagine to be blonde, maybe not. <laughs> Curvaceous. Yeah. Said, you know. So he, that that was Renee, hard to felt to him. So he invited Renee over to his apartment to read poems in German. As she was teaching him the German language, he wanted to learn German. They were both in France studying, and she knew German from being Dutch. Dutch. So he would invite her over to read him poems and to teach him the language, which he found to be interesting. Now, he did have ulterior motives, as you could assume. He obviously didn't really give a shit about German. He just wanted to be close to Renee. And I think, well, no, I know. he's He had these fantasies about her. He wanted to eat her. After she left from the first German teaching, Issei admits that he smelled and licked the place where she sat further fueling his fantasy of eating her. So this fantasy never stopped, ever. I think it's it's something that's still ongoing. But to smell and lick the place she sat and that fueled your desire yeah, to man. cannibalize her, that's disgusting. Everything about this is disgusting. Um, what? Yeah, like, fuck, I don't want to smell anything to do with the human body, ever. Give me cookies. Let me smell cookies in an oven, and that's where I'm happy. Or... A good steak on a grill or a barbecue. Don't, ew, fucking sweaty butt cheeks on a floor. Fresh money. Or chair. <laughs> we have different fantasies. Cheese. Of money. Okay, I need cheese. I can deal with cheese, too. But. <laughs> All right, so on June 11th, 1981, so this was, what, I can't do math, Matt. What's 1977 to 
1981. So four years after he arrived in France. So meanwhile, <laughs> I can't do fucking math. Leave me alone. I'm sorry. That was so mean of me. I Leave gave, me alone. I've her, said this time and time again. I gave her again. this long extended look and the eye roll thing and went. <laughs> you sure? Four. I should have just done it with my fingers and not even asked you. Anyways, I'm really bad at math. And I admit that in every single episode. So fight me. We're not here to do math, my guys. At this me, is bro. not about math. No. So anyways, four years later. So mind you, this has been going on for four years. Him befriending. Well, I'm not. It's not 100% known how long he was friends with Renee, but it was within those four years of him being there that his fantasies of her escalated. Now, like I said, on June 11th, he invited Renee back over to his Paris flat for one of these poetry reading sessions in German. Like I said, he was trying to learn, well, uh, telling her that she was teaching him German by reading him poetry that was in the German language. Issei commented that he liked her easy smile, her sunny personality, and in a letter home to her parents in Holland, Renee actually wrote that she found Issei friendly and intellectual. So they were friends, clearly. Yeah, really. it, like, it was a friendship for sure. Yeah, at least they in were her friends mind. before there was anything that was sexual involved for him. I don't think anything ever was for her, as far no, as no. I can tell. Yeah, no, no. But it seems as though they were at least friends. So yeah, he must and, have been and a functional think, human being yeah, at least some of the which time. Which is the scariest part to That's me. That's like kind of eerie. He yeah. was able to fool her because she never said, oh, he's creepy as hell. I don't yeah, want to be friends with him. Yeah, you never got the vibe from her from what we understand. She said, like, he was a great, he was, he was a cool dude. We hung out. We're friends. He's intellectual. He's very smart. Whatever. Any of that was just a little tidbit of what she had actually told her parents regarding him, her newfound friend, and he said, I was completely attracted by the beauty of Rune. She proposed me to take the dinner with other French uh, students. I felt the destiny. It was a very, very happy night. She was very, very kind, open-minded. We talked together very frankly and uh, talked about the theater or the literature. A really splendid night. It's a really a never forgettable. I think it's very important thing, so I'd like to speak okay. in, in, in Japanese. Because of my cannibal desire, my personality had seriously become... Uh, how do I say it? It was swallowed up by my obsession. Playing on the knowledge that she was fluent in German, he wrote, inviting her to his apartment to read a piece of German poetry, claiming he needed to make a tape recording of the poem for a university class. Dear Rene, thank you very much for this morning. Are you feeling better now? In fact, I have to ask your forgiveness. Can you come tomorrow afternoon, for instance, because it's urgent. I'll pay, of course. Thank you in advance, and sorry again. Issei, P.S. This is definitely the last time. I thought there was no way I could shoot her facing her. Like I said before, I thought it would have to be from her back. And in order for me to aim at her back, she had to be facing away from me. If she reads for me, she sits down at the desk and reads a book. 
she will have her back to me. As René read a poem chosen by Sagoin about cannibalism, she was unaware that he was standing behind her holding a rifle. So as she sat in his living room on June 11th doing the poetry reading, she was reading out loud in German and Sagawa stepped behind her. I'm guessing he excused himself or was just walking around his apartment. It didn't seem to trigger her to turn around at all. Yep. But he pulled out a carbine. carbine. Sagawa stepped behind her and pulled out a carbine rifle that he hid in a chest of drawers. Now, I don't understand why she wouldn't turn around and be like, what the hell is he shoveling? Like, even when you open a drawer here, I'm like, what's he doing? You know, I'm just yeah, nosy. Yeah, or like you... Didn't he load the rifle, or was he sitting there? I, maybe it was preloaded. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us any of the reports. But I mean, a carbine rifle is where you have to actually load the rounds in, though, and then like load the chamber. So I'm not sure that. That's I don't know how guns work. <laughs> so well, yeah, we're gonna do a little goobs. So while Matt's looking up how that works and if he would have had to load it with her physically being there, I'm gonna continue on with our little our horrible situation here so he walked towards Renee pointed the gun at the back of her neck as she was reading to him and pulled the trigger she died pretty instantly to what I understand bled out pretty quick I believe but afterwards Issei had sex with her dead body and he began to act out his fantasy by eating her now in Issei's own words he said and I quote I wanted to know the taste of human flesh, the young, beautiful girl's flesh. Just one bite of the hips. When you fall in love, you really want to kiss her. It's just the same. I just wanted to taste her. I'm a cannibal. It's an obsession. That came out of his mouth. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. What it's just like fuck? hard to, I think it's one of those things that's really hard to even semi-relate to, even though he's trying to like put it into terms like, oh, when you fall in love with someone, you just want to be with them. Yeah, that's in the my case, thing. I just wanted to eat her. He, he was trying to really, you can tell in this interview, I keep thinking this throughout this entire interview, he was trying to relate to everybody. Like, like I show how guys, normal it is. Right, how it's normalized for him to think things like this. Yeah. I don't think he even is doing it inadvertently. No. I think he's doing it very much on purpose to show you, like, you know, I'm not that weird. Yeah, it's just, like, the same as your fantasies. This is just, just like how different. you guys have fantasies to do other stuff, but it's just a little weird. Yeah, like, a little, like, little more strange and less socially acceptable uh, anywhere. A little more murdery, <laughs> so we're not really okay with that ever. Yeah, so Issei ate part of Hartefeld's thigh, butt, breasts, lips, calves, some cooked, some raw, which makes me want to vomit all over myself. Ooh. And after two days, he decided he needed to get rid of the body. Two fucking days. Two days he spent with this body. So and you know he was eating it, defiling her, laying with her. Yep. Gross. Just grossness all over. You know, I was actually thinking about this. I was watching American Idol. I'm pretty sure it was American Idol. Like, decades segue. ago. Interesting Just segue. wait. <laughs> Just wait. Decades ago, right? Long, 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 long time ago. I'm pretty sure it was American Idol. Anyways... One of the contestants was saying how he was like a professor somewhere mm. and he had eaten human flesh. You know how they have this real fucking like weird background stories for people sometimes? Or like they like get all the Looney Tunes to come addition to make it like a more interesting show. He picked that? They, yeah, he, well, it was like a controlled environment. Like it wasn't like he killed someone or someone was like murdered. But I guess he got to try human flesh. And of course, what did he say? It tastes like chicken. But it begs the question like if it was. 
something in a controlled environment, would you taste it? I'd probably say fuck no because I wouldn't even eat fish, so... I mean, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm I eat, very like, exploratory with my taste buds. <laughs> so Matt would. No, I was even going to say... Was... I was going to say, even though I am very <laughs> inquisitive, like, yeah. I've eaten a lot of things, some of which I'm not proud of, um, I don't know if I'd ever be able to stomach knowing that I was eating another human being. Flesh. Even if it had been somebody that had like donated to cool the situation, it. yeah, donated. <laughs> Which is another case right now. We have so many cases that have to do with cannibalism. So if you guys put want on your some belts. of my ass, <laughs> you can totally cut some off. <laughs> Be careful who listens to whoever listens to this podcast. Please don't come after Matt's ass. Maybe I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> Send me a Facebook request first yeah <laughs> so but he was arrested and he actually came from a wealthy family as we said so he did have a which, very experienced attorney for his defense which will come into play here as which it typically does as you would know if you listen to the, the episode two before this heather max episode being wealthy goes a long way for everything yes it does everything you see oj being wealthy Got him great ass lawyers. Got him off with the what we allege the dream team. Yeah, what we allege would be murder, but you know he was found not guilty, so we can't say he was convicted. Excuse me. Heather Mack is being treated like a queen in prison because she has all that moolah. And same thing goes with Issa. He had a really wealthy father, as Matt said, who provided an excellent lawyer for his defense. Yes, even though he was actually held in a French jail for two years without trial um because they were trying to determine his legal sanity Mm -hmm. and under french law which again i'm not too familiar with but i did a little bit of background research here it's similar to the u.s but basically like where they differ is where we you have to have the mens rea and the act like you have to have the mind and the act if you basically act on something that they can find to be proven. And this is just my loose understanding of it. Like I said, I read Mm -hmm. this quickly. But if they basically find something that they could deem an outside source would deem as legally irreprehensible and insane, then it doesn't matter if you were in your cognizant right mind at the time because you could do... You could do something that is... Really? I've seen it done. But... (laughs) Sorry, Matt is also simultaneously watching Penn State basketball. And um, he just made some noises. Man. Look at this dunk, Ooh. though. Ooh, through <laughs> three guys. That was nasty. He didn't even play for Penn State. I'm <laughs> impressed. Side um, note, if you're Penn State fans, welcome. Right. If your Pitt, friends were, Pitt fans were sorry, OSU fans were sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but, so... That is one difference is that, like, so a judge can basically rule on your mental capacity and based not on you. not even being able to dictate, like, what your mens rea, which, again, is, like, the state of your mind was at the time. So that's basically what this French judge, Jean-Louis Brugère, did. I love the French language. Me too. Bonjour. Brugère who ordered that he be held indefinitely in a mental institution, which now, this is, is also where things, a little different, because yeah. I didn't know you, I don't think you can do that in the U.S., can you? Just without any, like, you can send someone to life in prison, but can you sentence somebody to life in a mental institution? Sure. There has, I mean, people are sentenced, and I don't think they all go with their free will at well, all. think about it. Some people are sentenced 
to a mental institution, but isn't that under the impression or at least under the guise that you'll be coming out eventually, hopefully with some rehabilitation? I don't know. We'll have to look into that. I'm not sure. But, so yeah, so the judge, the French judge did deem him legally insane and unfit to stand trial. He was held in two, for two years with before his trial, but he was deemed unfit. But they ordered him to be held indefinitely in a mental institution. Now, things went as backwards and sideways, everything but forwards, after a visit from an author from Japan. I can't say his name, so Matt, take it away. Inuhiko Yamoto. Okay, so he came in. He was an author. He came into the mental institution to, for whatever fucking reason, interview Issei. Now, I guess... Not whatever fucking reason. It is really yeah, interesting to hear these there is definitely. Accounts. I was going to say, there's some marketability to that. I watched them myself, and we'll probably insert some clips in here somewhere. Please do, because I'd love to hear. And I'm also wondering if they were trying to maybe get some leniency for him. I'm not sure how that would work. No, I don't know. But basically what he did, that author, he got Issei's side of what had happened with the murder. He published a book. Or an account. I don't know if it was a book or if it was just... I think it was a book. I think it was a, a book. book. about the crime. In Japan, it was published in a book called In the Fog, which is what the book's name is. It's called In the Fog. I don't know if it's available in the U.S., but if you are so fucking inclined to read it, it is In, in the, the Fog. fog. Yeah. Because In the Fog was published, this is where what I said in the beginning starts to take hold. So... Yeah, in the Fog garnered kind of like, so much attention. Yes. So much attention. And it ended up throwing Issei into the public spotlight. And he became some sort of macabre celebrity in the Japanese community. He became somewhat of a celebrity because this book came out. And that kind of upset the French. And yeah. by kind of, I mean it really upset the French. First of all, they were getting unwanted media attention this guy turned into some kind of weird celebrity that they were holding in a mental institution. So, of course, it was drawing these people to France. Right. And they did not like that. So people believe, and all accounts that I read believe, that this contributed to why the French mental institution decided, the French authorities decided to deport Issei back to Japan, where he was immediately committed to the Matsuzawa. Matsuzawa. Shut the fuck How do you pronounce this shit? Mats, what did you say? Matsuzawa. That hospital. This is kind of confusing to me just a little bit. I get French authorities in France in general did not want the attention, right? That's what I'm wondering. I get it. I'm wondering. But why would you send him back to his country? Well, here's my thing. I'm wondering if they were getting a lot of weirdos that were coming to him to obsess over his celebrity. And please, guys, I know we ever use the term weirdos, but you know what And crazy, mean. yeah, yeah. And, and crazy. We're like, not we being derogatory. Like, we're not being derogatory. Like, we're just referring to what is most people would widely consider to be unorthodox. Weirdos. Weirdos. So, I think, I wonder if part of his celebrity and him becoming sort of infamous and therefore bringing some celebrity to France might have contributed to them saying, we don't want this guy here anymore. We don't want anybody knowing... That he's in France or that he's being held here. Let's get him the hell out and let's send him but back I wonder to his home country. How much they thought through that decision because what happens next yep. is infuriating. It is. And that's when we're getting into the eye for an eye and what the fuck happened here because this podcast is called Eye for an Eye, but it's also called What the Fuck Happened Here. Because, <laughs> and this is episode number 
Eight. Eight of, of eye for an eye. What the what fuck, the fuck happened, happened here? So he was sent back to Japan into that mental institution immediately because, of course, they, uh, yeah, they wanted to obviously commit him. He committed a crime. But examining psychologists all declared him sane and found sexual perversion was his sole motivation for the murder. So because those charges in France had been dropped when he was deported, the French court documents were sealed and were not released to J- Japanese authorities. Consequently, Issei did not, or Issei, consequently, Issei could not be legally detained in Japan. Now that, yeah, oh man, shoots me right in the face. Well, I mean, you know, with international law, especially when it comes to criminal law, there are so many different statutes. In I so know, many but like, places. think I know, and I know Japan and the U.S. are different, but like, think if he was deported here, like, there is no fucking way he'd be out of. Do you think he'd be gout? Well, our prison systems are some of the harshest in the world, so yeah. no. But I don't really But he wasn't, know. he never even went to prison. He didn't go to prison, right. So I don't think he would have ever gotten into a mental institution here, but I'm not sure how, through all of the mire, nobody Maybe realized. The Japanese The Japanese or the French authorities realized that this guy was a cannibal, was a murderer, and was deemed sane. Was deemed sane. I mean, that slipped through the cracks. That's a big crack, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, in, in France, they said he was legally unfit. Right, but then so, they didn't pass along the documents necessary mm-hmm. because, I don't know why, because documents were sealed. Which I don't understand at all. I don't know why that happened. I don't know. But, I really don't. So, it, so it is one of those things where it's like, what the, f- literally, what the fuck happened here? Like, what? how did we go from France being held almost kind of accountable for a murder to Japan he was at least spending the rest of his life in a mental institution in, in France. France. Yeah. In 1986, he checked himself out of the hospital on August 12th, 1986, and remains free. To this day. To this day. He was asked to speak as a guest, as a keynote speaker and a commentator in multiple universities and major forums. For more than a decade, between 1986 and 1997, he was considered a major personality. In 92, he appeared in... (laughs) Sound it out. Haisayasu Sato's exploitation film, Wakizuma Shijokuzume. Which means, unfaithful wife, shameful torture. As a sadosexual voyeur. Which he actually acted out... The part that he played in real life, essentially. Which is the most fucked up thing I've ever read, maybe in my whole life. They literally put him in a porno film where he killed, well, in in like fantasy world, like it wasn't real this time that we know of, killed and ate a girl. And it was, it was form, it was a form of torture porn for people. People fucking made this man into a celebrity and then let him film a porn reenacting what he actually did and should be in jail for. So, like, let's get Charles Manson to play Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what really. do you guys think for the next movie? I mean, yeah. Can, who do we call? Does he have an agent? It's fucking gross. I know. I, I, I'm joking, obviously, but I'm wondering, like, where the fuck do you draw the line? Yeah. So, he's written books himself. He's speaking, speaking, he's speaking. Speaking. He's spoke to a lot of different authors. Articles, 
has a lot of interviews, and like I said, we'll insert as many as we can find throughout this episode, so you guys get a little taste of the sick fuck himself. He wrote restaurant reviews for the Japanese magazine Spa. Now, I'm not sure how popular Spa is, but like we said, he was catapulted kind of into a sick fuck twisted what the fuck happened here limelight. He wrote restaurant reviews. He's a cannibal. Yeah. That's fucking bananas. Like, what the fuck is that? That is just insanity to me and disgusting. First of all, I'm never eating somewhere where cannibals like, oh, yes, the meat is very good. Like, bitch, uh-uh, nope, nope, What do you nope, do if he tells nope. you to order the steak medium rare? Uh, rare, mm-hmm. honestly, at this point. So yeah. now, here in this day and age, Issei's fame kind of died down, or fame in quotes, because this is, like, fucking infamy at its highest level. But he can no longer find publishers for his writing because now people are realizing he's a sick fuck and we shouldn't be giving him any anything that would benefit his life or his career or anything. And he he has struggled to find employment. Now, he was nearly accepted by a French language school because the manager was impressed by his courage in using his real name. But employees with brains in their heads protested and he was rejected. Can we go over that for a second? Someone wanted to accept him into a school because they were impressed by his courage and using his real name. <laughs> what? He's the guy that ate a woman. And, and he thinks he's fucking courageous because he used his actual name instead of having a pseudonym. Like fucking William Baker, who is... Is that what his name is? Will Baker? Yeah, Vincent Lee? So, yeah. That's, so watch out for William Baker because he's coming for you too. And he might eat parts of you. They could get together and create a fucking restaurant together. Because both of them are out of jail. If you don't know who I'm referring to, please check out the episode before this one, episode 7. And you'll find all about that infuriating case. But, in any case, in 2005... Guaranteed to blame, by the way. It's just... It's another case of what the fuck happened here. So, in 2005, Sagawa's parents died. Now, he was prevented from attending their funeral, but repaid their creditors and moved into public housing. He received welfare benefits for a bit of time there and I don't think he was able to attend their funeral because people kind of attributed his parents decline into the stress that he created for them in an interview with Vice Magazine in 2011 which is where a lot of these excerpts are coming from so shout out to Vice Magazine they have a lot of good interviews in there we're not being sponsored or anything but I don't want to be sued either. <laughs> no, we just want them to know. Yeah. Shout out to you guys. Yeah, we're not being paid for this or anything. So, Issei said to Vice in 2011 in an interview that being forced to make a living whilst being known as a murderer and a cannibal was a terrible punishment because it was hard on him. That pisses yeah. me off because your bitch ass should be in jail. That's bullshit, Issei. Hope you know that you're a piece of shit. And it's 24 years of freedom since. Issei has experienced a level of notoriety ranging from perverse public intrigue to minor celebrity. He has published novels, inspired songs, been the subject of countless documentaries and magazine articles and exploitation films in which he reenacts his crime, has drawn manga novels, and even directed his own personal pornograph film experiment. Effectively, he has made a living off of his crime, and he has profited from it. So for him to say to Vice in 2011 that it's a horrible punishment that he has to be known as a murderer and a cannibal, bitch, you made money, you made a living, you were infamous, and you lived in that shit. Now that it's all gone, talk about how sad you are. I don't give a shit. 
Like, that's disgusting. So let's talk about this. <laughs> I think we can all fucking agree here. Does the punishment fit the crime? No. What? I mean... So, real quick. Another question. So, obviously, the punishment does not fit the crime here in yeah. any sense uh, of the I think we can all Do agree. Do you like... think he would have been better off in jail or in a mental institution for life with the possibility of being rehabilitated and released? Well... He never acted on any of these thoughts again, but I think he also was under much heavier scrutiny. That we know of. That we know of, exactly. So he's also been under heavier scrutiny. So I think, as far as we know, he's never really acted on any of these again. But still, I think he could have benefited from maybe a decade in jail or in a mental institution at the very least to give him some time to pay for his crime. Now, since he's never committed another crime that we know about, I guess there's the argument that, well, that wouldn't have helped. He couldn't have done it again if he didn't do it again. But, I mean, damn, he killed and I think those thoughts alone. defiled a woman. Like, damn. I, well, first of all, we all know how I feel about murder. Like, no. Even if you're mentally unstable, no. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that, no. Like, it's just all No. Um, I think clearly there hasn't been any form of rehabilitation because still to this day, he has these fantasies. Yeah, he has fantasies. There's an interview that I'm going to insert a little piece of somewhere in here. And he's talking to, he was analyzed by like the top psychologist or psychoanalysis or whatever. And they said that this man is a danger. To yeah. society, like he's a now, like this was like recent. I'll insert a little bit more about that when I find the clip because I have to dig for it a little bit. But they said that he should not be free, he is a danger to himself and society. He still has these thoughts, he's not remorseful for them, and it's it's an issue. And so, it's one of those things where it's like, how the fuck, how the fuck, just yeah, what how? happened? I mean, honestly, we wonder where did this, I mean. And what Between is the stopping French him and from Japanese committing and, another crime? Yeah, well... Nothing. I guess nothing. I mean, I guess just sheer force of willpower for him has been preventing him from killing and eating anyone else. Which, and the only reason people know this man's name, besides obviously the fact that he commits heinous crime, is because we they, they made it into this sensationalized situation, right? And I think that's the only reason that he, he can't get normal book. jobs. They he made can't get, movies. Yeah. They made... Porn. Porn. Public speaking events. I mean, he was... Manga. Like, they just went all out. And that's why it's, like, just, first of all, disturbing that he would even say that it's a crime. It's a punishment in of itself to be known for murder and cannibalism. Bitch, why did you do it then? One. Two, don't tell me you haven't made a living off of all of this stuff. Yeah. Even though he is poor now, he lives off of welfare. He's he's having issues. But, like, good. Fuck you. Like, you should be dead in a hole, really. I mean, that's harsh but i mean honestly like, well, he what? killed a woman i don't think that i think that's harsh i don't think that's necessarily true but i don't think he deserves to be out here like hanging out getting welfare please yeah i mean honestly please that's where tax dollars are going not ours because we don't live in japan but, but the japanese citizens are so but they helped make him into this fucking famous thing and that's what i'm saying that was what i brought up at the top of the show we have to in some ways blame both the french and the Japanese, because I think without the two of them, sort of their authority being so minor, like, I mean, like, minor gaps, you know, these probably aren't major issues until something like this comes along, but then something like this comes along. Yeah. But it's one of those things, like, 
we're going to talk about, like I said, a lot of cases that have to do with cannibalism and even disturbing, more disturbing situations. Yeah, very sick fetishes. It's one of those things where, where is the line? Is there a line? So we talk about crime, right? There's so many true crime podcasts, true crime shows, true crime networks, true crime radio talk shows, true crime researchers, true crime television series, Netflix series, you know, whatever. There's so much true crime. Are we playing a role in fetishizing crime? Like, so for instance, in news articles, like for Columbine and things like that, people thought that they thought of themselves kind of like martyrs because they wanted to get famous. They wanted to be known. They wanted their names to be spoken, right? Are we giving these people that, like, yeah, are we, are we, are we giving these people that fuel to commit these crimes or is there something messed up? Because I mean, I guess, you know, everybody, like, not everybody, but, you know, like Luca, he wanted to be famous. He couldn't be famous any other way. He wanted to be known. He wanted to be liked. He wanted to be in the spotlight. Couldn't get on any of these TV shows. Couldn't make it in the modeling world. So he decided to do the worst act possible because he knew it would gainer the attention of people because the horrible snuff films that he had seen had gainered such attention. Gainered? Gainered, isn't that a word? No. Garnered? Garnered is a word. What's garnered mean? Exactly what, what you thought gainer means. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. The gainer is like... Matt's you... now an English teacher and a mathematician. I am not. I am certainly an English instructor. Well, whatever. He It got him the attention he wanted. A gainer is when you go running forward and then do a backflip. Yeah, I got close, but I wound up hitting <laughs> my knees and then my face. Well, that was a little sidebar. If anyone can do that, let's post it. Hey, yeah, if you guys can do a gainer, send us that video on YouTube, man. We'll definitely or on Facebook, whatever. We'll definitely show you some love. That's awesome. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things where I think about this often, like putting. So I know a lot of news stations now will refrain from using perpetrators' names because they don't want to give them infamy. They want the victims to be remembered. They want, you know, the victim's name to be the last name they hear. Yes. They don't want to give that attention to the sick individual. Which we love. Yeah, which is, I 100% agree, but then I feel like at the same time I'm being a hypocrite by making a podcast about true crime. So right. It's one of those things where it's like, it's an interest, it really is, and I think it's an interest, I was talking about this with Matt at the top of before the top of the show, really, but before we started recording, I was talking about, it's, why are people so interested in crime? Yes. And what I think, is it about crime that makes us and others so interesting? And I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts, and I, I want you to comment or let us know, leave a review regarding it. What makes you so interested in true crime? For me, it's hard to answer that question. And I've looked up a bunch of responses to that and to see why there's such a fascination with horrible, horrible things. And a lot of it says it's because it's so off from like reality it's just not anything that anyone will ever experience so the only way that we experience these kind of crazy scenarios is through the movies through like why do people watch movies same thing why do people watch a horror movie over a comedy because it's so fucking far off from your reality do you think that's part of it what do you think why are you so interested in crime true crime if i had to put a nail on it i think it's that it is something that most people do find to be kind of odd and off the wall. And interesting because it's so far. Exactly. It's far from my, my realm of my normal day to read about these things. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm a real estate agent. I don't get a whole lot of thrill <laughs> rides. I get a lot of interesting people, but you know, I'm certainly not 
if I'm not watching a good movie or I'm not reading an interesting article or I'm not reading about something that intrigues me, yeah, then I'm basically working or trying to get through my day. So I often think about like things like this just as like, yeah, it's just something a little out there and why is it so interesting? But you know what? I think that's part of the allure is that it's not normal. It's and not, it's not your reality. It's not our reality. It's, a sta- it's not the status quo. And I guess it's kind of the same as reading, like, reading obviously more extreme, but, like, or, or reading fantasy novels. It's just something that you'll right. never be Walk, in. Watching unrealistic fantasies or even having, I mean, it's someone else's fantasies played out. And I think that is what's so... And I guess the human mind is so interesting. That that was the very next thing that was going to come out of my mouth. It was just like the human mind is so complex and so frightening at times that like when it's unhinged, it's the most dangerous weapon on the planet. We Before we started the podcast, I googled the question, why do people fetishize crime? First thing that pops up is called hybristophilia. Hybrist. Do you know what that means? No. Neither do I. But we're going to tell you right now. So it's a paraphilia, which sexual arousal, facilitation, and attainment of orgasm are responsive to and contingent upon being with a partner known to have committed an outrage, cheating, lying, known infidelities, or crimes such as rape, murder, or armed robbery. Ooh, so you like fucking people that are like... (laughs) Fucked up. The terms derived from the Greek word, which I can't pronounce meaning to commit an outrage against someone, ultimately derived from an herbarist. I'm just so, con- I'm so confused. Like, you you get sexual pleasure out of fucking people that are cheating on their significant others? Is that what it is? I guess, or commit crimes. Or it says committed, crime? committed like, an outrage, cheating, lying, known infidelities, crime such as rape, murder, or armed robbery. It's known as Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Many high-profile criminals, particularly those who have committed atrocious crimes, receive, ha, this is like Luca, fan mail, in prison. And that is sometimes amorous or sexual, presumably the result of this phenomenon. In some cases, admirers of these criminals have gone on to marry the object of their affections in prison, which did happen to Manson. I don't know if he's actually married, but that star girl, whatever her name was. Yeah, she wanted to marry him. I don't know if they got And Luca's getting married, but I don't think that's this kind of case, but he does get fan mail, and, like, I know, like, Ted Bundy got fed fan mail, I'm sure. Yes, he did. He got married in prison, didn't he, or didn't he try to get married in prison? I have no idea, but it says the reason why some people do this is unknown, but some speculations have been offered. For instance, a professor a professor of forensic psychology at DeSales University, Katherine Ramsland, mentions that some of the women in particular who have married or dated male serial killers have offered the following reasons. In quotes, some believe they can change a man as cruel and as powerful as a serial killer. Others see the little boy that the killer once was and and seek to nurture him. A few hope to share in the media spotlight or get a book or movie deal. And then there is this notion of the perfect boyfriend. She knows where he's at at all times. She knows he's thinking about her. While she can claim that someone loves her, she does not have to endure day-to-day issues involved in most relationships. 
There's no laundry to do, no cooking for him, and no accountability to him. She can keep the fantasy charged up for a long time. Others offered reasons along the lines of some mental health experts have compared infatuation with killers to extreme forms of fantasyism. They view such women as insecure females who cannot find love in normal ways or or as love-avoidant females who seek romantic relationships that cannot be consummated. Wow. So from a perspective focusing on male serial killers attracting female partners, They've offered explanations based on evolutionary psychology. Serial killers, in his view, are alpha males, and that attempts to attract women. This is because males were good at protecting women and their offspring in our evolutionary history. Women nowadays may consciously realize that it is unwise to date a serial killer, but they are nevertheless attracted to them. As they note, as a therapist, he's encountered many women who've bemoaned their vulnerability toward dominant men who consciously they recognize were all wrong for them. Boom. So I just wanted to add that in, and I'll chop that in somewhere, but I thought that was really interesting, and I just realized as I was closing down my computer. So yeah, there's some fun fucking disgusting... But it makes sense. It, it makes does. sense. Girls Sick. like the bad guys. Sickly enough, it does, actually. I've, I've seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matt's the bad guy that all the girls want. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I played the fifth. <laughs> all right. I find that so interesting. And when you find somebody like Issei Sagawa, you're like, wow, like this guy is truly out there. I mean, he was he was living his life walking around every day thinking about eating people. From the time he was six. From the time he was six. Then he invites a friend over and blows her head off and starts eating her, which by the way, we figured out a carbine rifle is just a shorter barrel. So you do have to load them automatically with some of them, but not necessarily. So he could have had it loaded. He could have had it loaded. She may not have turned around to that. But it was just a short stock rifle that he could just very easily hide and pull out and shoot. So It is kind of interesting, like I said, that he brought up that he was not interested in the murder part. He was interested in the eating Eating part. part. Because you have to think about how he chose to kill his victim, right? So Luca did disgusting things to kill someone. How he took a gun. Boom. Shot her dead and then started to defile her body afterwards, which is just, like, very... So you would think if it was for the murder, it would have been, like, a slow, drawn-out situation, not quick, boom, she's dead, okay, now... He was definitely not a sadist, that's the thing, like, we talk about sadism all the time, and a lot of these people were, like Luca Magnata was, uh, where they enjoy watching other people suffer, and that's where they get their pleasure from. This guy didn't get his rocks off watching anything... Like that, he just liked to. It wasn't the violent part. It was he was eating. a cannibal. Yeah, it was pure cannibalism, and that to me is so intriguing and so odd. Scary. Scary, but like, how many other people are just waiting to act out their cannibalistic fantasies, or have already, and nobody knows. and nobody noticed, right? Yeah, like that's and it's scary because it's like the reason these people. Well, probably one of the reasons they wouldn't come forward and get help is because it's so stigmatized. Obviously. If you say, I want to eat someone, everyone's going to look at you like, are you fucking... You sick or what? Yeah, like... And, and even we sit here and are kind of like, like wow, when, that is mind-blowing. It's mind like when blowing. Ben was like... Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We're going to shout out our buddy Grigsby here. We love this guy. Griggs, I hope you listen to this some of the, one of these days. <laughs> it kind of reminds me. This is But we were cracking up. We were at our, one of our best friend's weddings recently. And uh, <laughs> shout out to Dave and Rebecca as well. We hope you guys are listening. Yeah. But, um... 
our good buddy Ben, who <laughs> okay, we wait, met at Penn preface State in this. college. Yeah, a little preface to this. He, everybody that we know knows we're obsessed with true crime horror, all the time. Right, they've all heard us talk about it. So Griggs comes over to us <laughs> and he says, hey, like, I've been listening to Eye for an Eye and it's really cool. And we we're like, oh, we love it, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, great to hear your opinions. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, man, you know, like, I never even realized. But, like, I've been watching, like, films of people getting murdered and stuff all the time. Yeah. Like, I watch stuff like that, and it's wild. Like, I'm sure you guys have seen some stuff well, like you, that. The way he said it was, I, you know, I have something you guys probably do. Like, you'll love this. And we were like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I watch, like, the subreddit, like, watch people get killed or whatever the fuck yeah, the subreddit like, is. like, watch snuff films or watch yeah. people die was, in like, accidents or get or- shot. And he basically, Which is not funny, but our oh, reactions, yeah. Matt and I... He framed it as like, you guys do that, right? Yeah. And Lisa and I kind of stopped, and we looked at him, and then we just simultaneously looked at each other, and we're like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> we're like, I guess, man. But no. Yeah, no, like, no, no, we don't do that. We've never done that. Oh, wow. It was just so funny. You had it was great. It. But it's one Riggs, of those things where, like... I, I love you, brother. I hope yeah. you're listening. And we, that, we enjoyed that. You'll be though. on an episode for sure, but... Yeah, Grace, we're getting on an It was just so funny, because he thought that we were going to chime and be like, oh, hell yeah, we do that too. Like, of course, we go on that website every night. And both of us were just like... It was like crickets, like audible crickets. We were just like, um... Hmm. Like, yeah, like... That's uh, cool. Uh, not, though. Okay. I don't know. It's one of those things. It's just a fascinating subject. Yeah, so I think we can both agree that Issei should be locked up or in a mental facility for the rest of his life, just like Vince Lee and every other fucking person we've ever covered on what the fuck happened here. So we ask eye for an eye every time, and it seems like we always say no, and we feel bad for that because... At one of these points in time, we are going to go There's an episode coming up. Yeah, there's a case coming up where we're going to go through and say, yep, woo, good job, everybody. The justice system came through. Um, I think you guys will be interested in that case. I know I'm very interested in that. I'm very interested in this one, but I'll be very interested to see what everybody has to say about that uh, because I think it does happen that we get it right every so often, at least... In this podcast, it feels rare, but it will happen. Yeah, it, it feels rare, but those are the cases that stick with you, you know? Those are the ones that, like, that do make you lose sleep over, like, wow, like, and I often have had this thought, like, what if something like that were to happen to me and I was wrongly accused of something? Well, that's, that's my biggest fear. You know, and, like, there's evidence And to I would say. be. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, you could probably find evidence to say that I've had some weird thoughts and, like... My ex knows that I'm obsessed with true crime, and he would always say, Lisa, like, if I ever die, even accidentally, like, even if I die from something, when you're in a different part of the country, you will go to jail. They'll because, be looking at you, man. <laughs> Because the shit you watch, the shit you Google, the shit you think about, how our relationship went, you know, you you will be in jail. And I'm like, oh my goodness, no. People I would never hurt a fly, ever. I don't even hurt flies. I literally, if you heard it, did I cut it out the last episode? No, I didn't. It's in the last episode. If you listen to the last episode, you hear me yell at Matt because he tried to clap a fly. I did. You didn't didn't actually get it. I do remember that, but I missed. And I was like, Matt, no. We put them outside with their family. So I'm not about violence in any way, but this stuff does super fascinate me. So no, an eye for an eye was not meant in this case, but like Matt said, we will have cases where we're like, fuck yeah, he got what he deserved. Fuck yeah, the justice system got it right. Fuck yeah, something happened that makes sense. Sometimes people get set free for things that they didn't do, and we love that. Too. That's the best scenario. If you find somebody that didn't do something, please 
vindicate them. We yeah. need it's that's more the scary that. thing about the justice system is because it's there's some cases where it feels like the detectives and the police make a story in their head and then put the pieces in the puzzle to make it fit what they believe happened when it's not the case. Seems like what and that's my biggest Simpson. fucking fear in the whole world is to be accused but to make it really like because then it makes you feel like you're crazy did i fucking do this like there's a case like that i don't know if you've ever seen the show on mtv it doesn't air anymore i don't even remember what it's called but it's a show on mtv with this guy who like convinced himself which we'll do this case i'm not gonna get too much into it but basically convinced himself that him and his friend committed a really gruesome murder that they were actually not a part of at all they had nothing to do with it. they weren't even there they were like at a house party nearby and he convinced himself because it sounded so familiar and he was so drunk he blacked out that night that he was like, holy fuck, could we have done this? Because we, we were did. like on that street, you yeah. know, what did, What happened? And he got them both put in jail. He's out of jail and his friend's still in jail fighting his case because basically when he confessed, because he did go to the cops and said, we did this. We fucking did this. I don't know what to do. We did this. No evidence led to them. There was no, none of their DNA anywhere on the scene, nothing. But because they had no one else, I guess, and because he was admitting it, they took it and ran with it. he refuted confession. And he fucking fucked his friend up, too. I mean, he's out of jail, and I know he's fighting to get his friend out of jail, but it's like, and now he has this show on MTV, or had this show on MTV, where he tries to vindicate people who are wrongly accused of crimes, which, thank you for paying it forward, but, like, isn't that crazy? Like, once, once that happens, it's like, how do you get out of it? Like, people who wrongly, like, like, are scared and interrogated for such a long time and admit to things that they didn't do. Well, think about it. I mean, you can be wrongly accused of something and then people can even leave evidence to the effect of that and say, like, well, look, right here was on his computer. I mean, look at his most recent searches. Or, yeah. Look what we found in his house or her house. It's scary. Look it's what, was, like in some, a, what um, was in their car, you know? Like it's the trunk like, of the car. What's that movie, the really good movie with Ben Affleck and what's her name? What's her name again? What's that movie? Gone Girl. Yes. It's like some of that shit. Gone Girl. That's a good point. Some of that shit. So it, it is a scary world we live in, but there's more good than bad, and we want everyone to remember that, even though it's hard after listening to this craziness, because he is out free, jobless, and struggling. Thank goodness maybe that's the big guy getting, you know, getting yeah. some payback for what he did. But I believe if you take someone's life, there should be some sort of consequence, and this guy got none. Very so. little, at least. He spent some time in a French mental institution. Yeah. So that's about it for murder. That's, uh, that's, that's a slap on the wrist light. And I think for me, it's like, I always talk about misplaced empathy. Like, I empathize with the wrong people in cases. In this case, absolutely not. Obviously, I don't empathize with him at all. I don't empathize with any killers, really. But sometimes I feel like, oh, well, they're back on. They were set up to fail. Yeah. But in this case, I empathize with Renee's family. How the fuck is that justice for them? I do not know. And he became a fucking celebrity. Yeah, he to have him famous. just talk about this all nilly willy. They lost their daughter. And yeah. I want everyone to remember that. They there is a life lost here. We should remember her name, not his. And I know this is kind of contradictory to this podcast, but it is, it's true. We should remember Renee. Fuck his name. Let's not even say it one more time. But Who he say? I hate you, Matt. I'm but no, seriously, like, like it's, it's, I do believe, for a long time I actually wanted to make a podcast where it focused on the victims of the crimes. I, yeah, we, we definitely are going to have to Which do. we should do like little mini episodes on what we can dig up of like victims of crimes. Like short, just excerpts, bringing to light that these are human beings. These are people whose life were cut short. These are good people. These are people that didn't have a chance. These are young people. These are old people. These are people 
that we should tell their story. We should tell their story. We should do that mini episodes in like randomly, you I know, like throughout. I like it. And if you have any, you know, victim stories or if you know a victim of a crime or even a perpetrator of a crime and it hits home and you know stories to give us, let us know. We want to share the story. We want to, if there's any organizations that we can shout out, we'd love to. We want to bring awareness. We want to help. Yeah, we're talking about the sentencing and the shitty people and the and the crimes, but there are people whose lives are lost and there are a lot of people that are great out there that are doing things for the better good and real quick did everybody watch the elizabeth smart thing no i didn't damn it matt i know i I have not it's so good i want to pull it up tonight that's obviously a case we'll cover as well but absolutely there's a little thing that she did would that be called a documentary it was a Uh, two-part like tv special yeah i guess guess it'd be like tv special is a better way to put it yeah but it's really great and if you haven't seen it Annie did this great thing narrated by Elizabeth Smart herself about her whole ordeal. And it just reminds people to never victim blame. Ever. Ever. You never really know. There you go. So thanks for joining us. Like, share, comment, love us, hate us. We don't care. We just want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Scream it to us, baby. Tell everybody. And get in on the discussions on Facebook. I am tired of talking to myself. And I know. Uh, we feel bad posting stuff and everybody's like not just, you know, we get a few likes. We want you guys to comment. Tell yeah. us what you feel. We want to hear point. about it. We want to hear if it. If you're like shocked, like sometimes I'll post and be like, this blew my freaking mind. What does yeah. everybody think? We want you guys to be like. Or, like, that makes sense to me. You know, or, or whatever you're feeling. Right, yeah. I mean, hell, Start a conversation with us. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. That's what this is about. And we are having special guests come up, so I'm super excited about that. If you're interested, let us know. We're so – there's so many ways to connect with people nowadays. We'd love to have you a part of the show on a case that you're interested in. We have a lot of guest hosts lined up, so keep a lookout for those. Look and for if us. you want to be one, hit us up. Give us a call. Yeah, our Instagram, I for iPod, doesn't really be used anymore. But once, if we pick up again, maybe I'll kick back into it. We'll I like Facebook better. Facebook's it's easier because they post articles. Yeah. Um, but our Facebook, I for I podcast, you can find us there. We, like I said, we have discussions all the time. You can email us, I, I for iPod at gmail.com. That's where you can find us, and we'd love to hear from you. So. Let us know how you're feeling. Let us know what you feel about this son of a bitch. And let's all just be good to each other, right? Treat everybody with respect and don't eat them. Don't eat people is the moral of this story. So, good night. Bye. Good night. I had decided before that the first bite would be the buttocks. I was able to cut through the skin. I'm a fool, so I didn't have a clue about human body structure. I thought that red flesh would appear straight away, but it wasn't like that. And this layer that was like sweet corn just carried on for ages, however deep I cut through. I couldn't reach with my knife, so I ripped out the flesh with my fingers and put it in my mouth. After I had sex with her, I tried to kiss her. For the first time, I said out loud, 
I love you in French. And I felt a huge shiver. Sagawa would spend a further 48 hours alone with the corpse of Rennie Hartfeld before attempting to dump her remains in the Bois de Boulogne. When the police later raided his apartment, they discovered Sagawa had stockpiled mementos of his crime, including quantities of human flesh, a tape recording of the murder, and even a camera containing a very incriminating film. Issei Sagawa photographed the different phases of what he did to this young woman after her death. Quite horrible pictures. This man murdered and met a woman in Paris. He has never stood trial. Today, he walks the Tokyo streets a free man. A free man with an ongoing appetite for human flesh. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.